Pastor David Jones. Welcome to my sermon archives. For more audio sermons, books, blog posts, and other goodies, visit www.pastordavidwentz.com. That's spelled W-E-N-T-Z. And follow me on Facebook or LinkedIn. I pray God speaks to you as you listen. Thank you. Our key verse is in the bulletin. Let's read that together. Joshua 1.8 This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Joshua 1.8 We're in the fourth week of a series of sermons called The River of Life. We've been following the River of Life through the Bible. It is there in the creation in the book of Genesis. It surfaces again permanently at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation in the new heaven and the new earth. But in between, it's like one of these sinking rivers that we have around here that sometimes hits a sinkhole and goes underground and then it will come to a spring and spring back out on the surface and flow on the surface for a while. And we've been following through that. Uh, We're going all the way through the Bible in 16 weeks. And if you've missed any of these sermons, I have the audio and I have... uh, transcripts, and I can get them to you if you're interested. I'm, I'm making recordings. That's what this pretty green thing is here. I'm recording. Uh, but basically, we have been through uh, the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible up until now. We looked at creation. We saw how God tried to deal with the entire human race all together, and it didn't work. They refused to listen to him, and so he destroyed them in the flood, tried again, they still didn't listen. He had promised that he wouldn't destroy the entire world in a flood again. So he divided their languages and said, I'm just going to choose one little group and work with them and let them get to know me and live my way, and then all the rest of the world will see how much better that way of life is, and they will want to come and follow me as well. And so he chose the family of Abraham, raised him up, they became the Israelites, they were uh, went down to Egypt as a, a family of 70, and well, that's just about the same size as uh, some of your families when you have a family reunion. And they, the 70 went down to Egypt, stayed there 400 years and grew into a million or more people, and Moses led them out under God's direction, spent 40 years in the wilderness, received all the law, and uh, then were ready to enter the promised land. And last week we left us with Moses having died and the people of Israel on the banks of the Jordan River ready to enter the promised land. And that's where we pick up the story today. So today I call it flip-flops in the promised land. Now we're not talking about sandals, even though the Bible says that during the 40 years in the wilderness, God preserved their all of their stuff and their sandals didn't wear out. They could wear the same pair of sandals for 40 years. 
Some of you may have been wearing the same pair of flip-flops for 40 years, but, but the flip-flops we're talking about here is the cycles of flipping and flopping back and forth that our second reading described, where after Joshua died, the people of Israel began to follow the, the pagan gods around them and the pagan religions around them, And when they did that, they moved themselves out from under the umbrella of God's protection and blessing and opened themselves up to all kinds of other stuff coming in. And then they would get oppressed and they would cry out to God and they would say, oh, we're sorry, we won't do it again. And God would send a deliverer and deliver them from the oppression. The river of life would surface at that point and they would... As long as they followed God, they would be doing fine. But then they would flop back again to following the the pagans and then cry out for deliverance, and flip back to following God. So flip-flops in the promised land. When the people call for God, he opens up a spring and the river of life comes clear and strong, but when they turn away from God, they create sinkholes and the river disappears. So as we go through this section of the history, it basically it's the books of Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, and it covers the time from entering the promised land until the time that they first had a king, King Saul. It's about 300 years. And it starts with God speaking to Joshua. Moses is just died, Joshua is about ready to take over and to go to lead the people into the promised land. And our key verse, God is speaking to Joshua. And he says, this book of the law, the Bible, and they only had the first five books of it, the Torah at that time, or the Pentateuch, uh, different names for the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, but the same principle applies to the whole Bible. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. You say, what do you mean depart from your mouth? Well, the the word for meditate there really can be translated mutter. And so it means you're kind of speaking it under your breath, kind of muttering the, the, the words of the Bible, just to think about it uh, as you're, walking around as you're guarding your sheep, as you're working in your shop, whatever you're doing, just keep kind of muttering the words and thinking about them and turning them over in your mind. It's interesting that uh, another word uh, that means the same thing, it comes from the same root, is ruminate. You ruminate on something, means you think about it, you ponder it, you meditate on it, but it's also what a cow does with food going through the four uh, stomachs and chewing the cud, you get God's word down inside of you and then you bring it back up and you mutter it and you chew on it in your mind a little bit and then you bring it back down and that's how you get it into your spirit. So you need the whole thing about uh, meditating on the Bible and the the whole point of it is it's good to have it in your brain, but you need to get it down into your heart where that guides your instinctive reactions and you don't have when something comes up and you don't have time 
to consciously process through and say, okay, how should I react to this? Oh yeah, the Bible says such and so. You want to have it down inside of you where it's a part of your instinctual reaction. So, you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in. See, again, it's not enough just to know it. You need to do it. Why should you do it? Second half of the key verse. Because then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. Anybody here want to have good success? Well, that's how you do it. The, the, uh, it's the owner's manual for human life. How to make it work. How to have good success. How to make your way prosperous is to get God's word down in your heart to the point where you live by it consciously and instinctively. So that's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. And so I I took a little bit of time just to expound on that more than is needed really for the purposes of this series. I could have just said Joshua took over. But this this is what God told him. And so... Joshua took over, and they're here. The Jordan River is at flood stage. It's rushing like crazy. They can't get across into the promised land. And in order to show the people of Israel, in order to build their confidence in Joshua and show them that God was with Joshua as he was with Moses, God has Joshua stop the water. And the Jordan River waters stop flowing until the entire people of Israel cross the river. Just like it dried up for the the Red Sea waters for Moses and the people across the Red Sea. The same thing happened at the Jordan River. And not only did this inspire confidence in the Israelites, of course, but it scared to death all of the, the people, the nations in the Promised Land. And so there was just a little bit of psychological warfare going on there as well. So they cross the Jordan River. They are on the other side. They're ready to begin this campaign of conquest, of taking over the land that God has promised them. And somebody says, well, why? What about all the people who were already there? You know, isn't that kind of like uh, the Europeans coming in and displacing the Indians, you know? And uh, on one hand, that's been happening throughout history everywhere in the world. That's what happens with people. Different people groups move in and displace other people groups. But in this case, if you read into the Bible, there are other places where you can see that God has given these people 400 years to repent and stop all of their horrible... I mean, they were into child sacrifice and cult prostitution and everything. That was what their religions consisted of. And they had had Abraham and Isaac and Jacob living there. They they had had 400 years to repent and they had not. That's one side of it. The other is that any individual 
was free to turn and follow God. Any one of them. And we, heard, we read about one of them, Rahab the prostitute, turned away from her pagan religion and chose to follow God. And she was spared in all of her family. But anyway, Joshua and his people crossed the, the uh, Jordan River. They're getting ready to move into the land God has promised. And Joshua's out walking one evening and he sees this guy and he doesn't recognize him. He says, who are you? And uh, he, he says, are, are you on our side or their side? And he says, neither one. I'm the commander of the armies of the Lord. And so it's the angel of God there to, again, support and, and encourage Joshua. But notice he didn't say, I'm the commander of the armies of the Lord and I'm on your side. The implication was, I'm the commander of the armies of the Lord and you better be on my side. It's like what Abraham Lincoln said in the Civil War when, when somebody asked him, do you think that God is on your side? He says, I'm not nearly so concerned that God be on our side as that we be on God's side. Because that's, that's the important thing. So then we have our first reading with the two spies who were sent over into the, the walled, the big walled city of Jericho. I mean, that was the first, first thing they had to, to uh, deal with as they crossed into the promised land. Couldn't do anything else until they dealt with this big walled city. They couldn't just bypass it and leave uh, an enemy stronghold in their rear. So they had to deal with it. So they sent the spies and, and Joshua read the story for us. You heard uh, all about that. The point again, Rahab was a, uh, a pagan. She was a woman. She was a prostitute. And yet, God accepted her when she chose to follow him, follow his ways, uh, turn against her, her uh, background, her, her pagan background, and turn to follow God. And the implication is that she also left off her former profession because she married, I don't know if it was one of the spies, but she married an Israelite and she actually became an ancestor of King David and an ancestor of, no wait a minute, I'm not sure about David. I'm not sure about David, but she was definitely an ancestor of Jesus. And so I think through David. But anyway, the point is, this non-Israelite, pagan prostitute is in Jesus' family tree. God will accept anyone at any time who wants to follow his way to the river of life. So, Jericho, and you've all heard the story, Joshua, fit the battle of Jericho, and the walls came and tumbling down marched around it, walls came down, everybody in the, the whole country knows about it, scared to death, trembling in their boots. And so there's this little town called Ai. And so they look at that and they say, oh, we don't need to go uh, you know, send the whole army, we'll just send a few people. And they get wiped out. The Israelites get wiped out. 
And he said, goodness sake, what happened? Why did that happen, God? And it turned out that God had given instructions and that Joshua had given instructions to all the soldiers. You're not supposed to grab any of that. You're going to find things in there. Loot. Basically said no looting. Okay? No looting. And a guy named Achan found some gold and stole it and hid it under his tent. And so God told Joshua about that. Didn't tell him who, but he had him cast lots. And they cast lots for the tribes, and they cast lots for the families, and they cast lots for the individuals and the families, and the lot came down on Achan. And he admitted it, and the gold was found in his tent. And so then they were able to conquer uh, Ai. And so the whole country is hearing about this. They're scared to death, all the countryside. And so the people from a city called Gibeon find out that God has instructed Joshua, you're supposed to take all of this area and displace the people and and this is the, the land that's going to be yours. But cities far away, you can make a peace treaty with them. So they pretend like they're from far away. And they got on all old clothes and they take stale and moldy bread with them and everything. And they come and they make a peace treaty with them. And there's a very interesting verse there in Joshua 9.14. So the Israelites examined their food. They looked at the bread and they said, well, yeah, it is moldy. I guess, I guess they must be telling the truth. But... The verse goes on, the Israelites examined their food, but they did not consult the Lord. They didn't pray about it. They just said, yep, it makes sense to me, and and signed a peace treaty. And the interesting thing is that even though, when the deception became known, even though it was signed under false pretenses, Joshua honored the treaty anyway. Because when some of the other surrounding cities found out that Gibeon had made a peace treaty with the Israelites, they got mad at them and they attacked Gibeon. And Gibeon said, sent, sent a message to Joshua and said, help. And Joshua and his army came to their rescue, marched all night. And that's when Joshua prayed for the sun to stand still so they would have enough daylight to finish the, uh, the military exercise and rescue Gibeon. And God honored that and made the sun stand still. Then it goes on in the the book of Judges and talks about all the various kings defeated to the north and the south and the east and the west. The whole land was not conquered at once. Some of them left, as as we heard in the second reading, uh, and we're given two reasons for that. One is that Uh, originally beforehand God said to Joshua I won't drive them all out too fast so the wild animals won't multiply and be dangerous for you and the reading that Rhonda read for us adds a second reason which was that God wanted to test the Israelites and see if they would indeed uh, stay true to him or whether they would succumb to the temptations of the neighboring tribes. So Joshua divides up the land among the 12 tribes of Israel and he gives his final words as he's an old man 
And he says, Joshua 24, 15, he says, choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And all the people said, oh, we'll serve God, we'll serve God. And Joshua dies, and as we heard in the second reading that that Rhonda read for us, as soon as that generation died, they turned right away from God to the pagan idols. And this whole cycle starts. They leave God's way, they create the sinkholes, the river of life disappears, takes them out from under the umbrella of God's protection, all of the surrounding uh, marauding nations come and attack them, The people repent and cry for help. God opens a spring for the river of life, brings a deliverer, raises up armies, delivers them. Things go well for a while. They forget all of that, turn right back to the the, uh, others around them. And so we have a cycle here. The Aramites, which is modern Syria, attack them. And God raises up Afnia. And things are going well. And then they turn away from God to the pagan idols, and the Moabites rise up, which is modern-day Jordan. And they cry out to God, and God raises up a deliverer, a judge named Ehud. And then it's the Philistines, which is the Gaza Strip. And then it's uh, God raises up Shamgar as a judge. And then they turn away from him, and the king of Hazor, which is a city north of the Sea of Galilee, attacks them. And They turn back to God and cry out for help, and God raises up a judge named Deborah, a woman. And then they turn away, and the Midianites out of Saudi Arabia come. And God raises up Gideon. And fascinating story that I don't have time to tell about Gideon. You've heard about the the 300, Gideon is 300. God raised up Gideon, and he, he had... Too many people, and God said, you got too many people here. If all of these soldiers go, they're going to think they did it by themselves. And so he sends home everybody that's scared or doesn't want to fight, and half of them go home or more. And God says, you still have too many. And he winters them out again until he gets down to 300 people to fight against tens of thousands of Midian. And then it's kind of a cool story. God tells them that he's 300. Go up, the Midianites are all camped down here in this valley. He gets the 300, he says, each one of you take a trumpet and take a torch in a clay pot. And they go up on all the peaks surrounding this valley where the Midianites are camped. And Gideon says, you watch me and do what I do. And and, uh, tells them what to say and everything. They get all in place. And Gideon... uh, breaks his his, uh, clay pot, brings the torch out, so the torch is is blazing and can be seen, blows on his trumpet, all the other people around, 300 people, 300 different sites around the tops of these mountains, all of a sudden there's uh, fire and there's trumpets and they're shouting a sword for the Lord and Gideon, all the Midianites think they're surrounded by a huge army, they panic, they start fighting each other because they are from different tribes that usually most of the time fought each other anyway, that just came together against the Israelites, and they, they wind up killing them all, and then the, the other 
Israelites other than the 300 come in and chase them and follow up the victory. So, kind of cool stuff. As a matter of fact, and this is a little bit off, off uh, track, but during the various Israeli wars for independence in 1948 and 1967, the Seven-Day Wars and so on, some of those same kinds of tactics, because they were fighting over the same territory, they used the Book of Judges and some of the other historical books of the Bible as military primers and used some of the same kinds of tactics. And, and they worked. Kind of cool. So anyway, then another judge named uh, Tola and another one named Jair. And in between these judges, every time it was a cycle of the Israelites turning away from God, getting oppressed, turning back to God and saying, oh, we're sorry, we'll never do it again, please help us. And God saying, oh, all right, and sending him a deliverer. And so Judges 10, 6 to 16, kind of summarizes that a little bit. Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They served the images of Baal and Ashtoreth and the gods of Aram, Sidon, Moab, Ammon, and Philistia. They abandoned the Lord and no longer served them at all. So the Lord burned with anger against Israel, and he turned them over to the Philistines and the Ammonites, who began to oppress them that year. For 18 years they oppressed all the Israelites east of the Jordan River in the land of the Amorites, that is, in Gilead. The Ammonites also crossed to the west side of the Jordan and attacked Judah, Benjamin, and Ephraim. The Israelites were in great distress, and finally they cried out to the Lord for help, saying, see, this is just an example of how it was every time saying, we've sinned against you because we've abandoned you as our God and served the images of Baal. And this time, the Lord replied, didn't I rescue you already from the Egyptians and the Amorites and the Ammonites and the Philistines and the Sidonians and the Amalekites and the Mayanites? When they oppressed you, you cried out to me for help and I rescued you, yet you've abandoned me and served other gods I'm not going to rescue you anymore. Go cry out to the gods you've chosen. Let them rescue you. But the Israelites pleaded with the Lord and said, Oh, we've sinned. Punish us as you see fit. Only rescue us today from our enemies. And then the Israelites put aside their foreign gods and served the Lord. And he was grieved by their misery. And he rescued them again. You know what? God is a sucker for I'm sorry. He is just so forgiving. So he raised up Jephthah, and then Ibzan, and then Elon, and then Abdon, and then Samson. And you all know the stories of Samson. The long hair was part of what's called a Nazarite vow. And you, there are various stories of strength and cunning and guile and susceptibility to feminine pulchritude. And you may know the story of Samson and Delilah and how she tricked him and finally got him to admit that the secret of his long hair, of his strength, superhuman strength, was his long hair. Now, if I was to grow my hair long, that would not make me superhumanly strong. Okay? It wasn't the hair. It was the obedience to God. He was strong as long as he was obeying God 
in that regard. When he cut his hair, he lost his strength because he was deliberately disobeying the one thing God had specifically told him he needed to do. And so he was captured, he was blinded, he was put in prison, his his, uh, hair grew out though while he was in prison, and the Philistines brought him out to to, uh, make an exhibit of him at at some big festival of their, their god Dagon, and they brought him into the temple of Dagon, and Samson said to the boy that was leading, because he was blind, put my hands on the pillars so I can lean on them, so I can rest. And he knocked the pillars down, and there were 3,000 Philistines on the roof, and down in, in, in it, and between the ones on the roof and the ones down underneath the roof when it all collapsed, 3,000 of them killed. So the Bible goes it's on, the book of Judges goes on with more stories of that time that are, are interesting in the kind of a Wild West romance novel kind of a way. Um, but not real important for the purposes of this sermon series. But the last verse of Judges is telling. It says, In those days Israel had no king, and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And the result was all this oppression. And today's chunk of the Bible ends with a little short book, four chapters, that you can just picture it being made into a Hallmark movie. Okay, the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth. Uh, Man in, in Bethlehem is married, has a couple of boys, Famine comes, he leaves, goes into uh, the neighboring land, Moab, and uh, his kids grow up, they marry native girls, Moabitess girls, then he and the boys both die, and the only ones left is the mother, the widow, Naomi, and then the two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. Now, there's a verse here that you probably heard, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Anybody ever heard that before? Was it at a wedding? That is a very, very popular wedding verse. But in the Bible, it wasn't a a bride saying it to a groom. It was a daughter-in-law saying it to her mother-in-law. Orpah stayed there in Moab, so she could find uh, a husband, because she was still a young widow. Ruth said, no, I'm going to go with you. I want your God to be my God. Again, a foreigner out of a pagan background, but she wanted to follow God, and God accepts anyone who will follow him. So, they go back home to Bethlehem because the famine is over, and Ruth goes out to glean in the fields because God had instructed among all of those different laws, God had said, when you glean your fields, don't get every last little bit of it. Leave some when you harvest your fields. Leave some around the edges for the poor people to go out and and gather enough grain for themselves. And so 
Ruth and Naomi, being single women with no one to support them, were poor people. And uh, so Ruth goes out and she's gleaning and the owner of the field is a guy named Boaz and he notices that she happens to be almost as pretty as Paula. And so he, uh, he takes notice of her and he tells his people to you know, leave a little extra grain there. And she notices that and tells Naomi and says, oh, he's got his eye on you. And so they wind up getting married and she becomes an ancestor of King David and of Jesus. So, today's section of the Bible starts and ends with non-Jewish women who defied their cultures to follow God and became great-great-grandmothers of Jesus. God accepts anyone and everyone who wants to follow him to the river of life. That's the first thing we learn from all of this. The second thing is that the most spiritually dangerous times are the times when things are going well. In the book of Proverbs, it says, Lord, please don't let me too, be too rich or too poor. Because if I'm too rich, I'll think it's all me. And if I'm too poor, I'll be too spending too much time trying to find food. But just let me have enough so I can focus my life on you. The most spiritually dangerous times are when you think everything's going well. You think you've got everything under control. The third thing, as I said, God's a sucker for I'm sorry, if you really mean it. He's also very good at recognizing con artists if you don't. We learn that God can raise up a deliverer anytime, from anywhere. Gideon thought that he was, you know, he was the, the youngest son from a small family. He said, who am I? Deborah was a woman of all things. My goodness sake, in ancient cultures, that was, that was uh, about six strikes against you to start with. But God can raise up a deliverer anytime from anywhere, and it might even be you. And we learn that even in the promised land, only God's way leads to the river of life. Everybody has an idea of the promised land. Boy, if I can just get this job, if I can just move to this place, if I can just lose this number of pounds, if I can just retire, then I'll be in the promised land. If we can just get there, everything's going to be peaches and cream. Or in biblical terms, the land of milk and honey. Well, Israel was in the promised land. During this whole 300 years of the judges cycle, they were right in the middle of the promised land. Even when you're living in the middle of the promised land, you can still be miserable. Because even in the promised land, only God's way leads to the river of life. The good news is God accepts anyone and everyone who wants to follow his way. He leads every one of them to the river of life. And if there's anybody here who's not sure that you know that, that you know what that means personally, individually, I'd love to talk with you about it. The other part of the good news, and of course the word gospel literally means good news. The other part of the good news is that God is unbelievably forgiving and merciful. No matter how many times you mess up, 
God is willing to forgive you and open up a spring of the river of life. Only now he doesn't have to keep sending different deliverers. He just brings us back to the one eternal undying deliverer, Jesus. And so the question for all of us this morning is, will we live like the last verse of Judges? All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Or will you follow the last words of Joshua? As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Let's say our key verse together. Joshua 1.8 This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Joshua 1.8 Thank you for listening to this sermon. I pray it blessed you. Again, I'm Pastor David Wentz. And for more audio sermons, books, blog posts, and other goodies, please visit www.pastordavidwentz.com. That's spelled W-E-N-T-Z. And follow me on Facebook or LinkedIn. May God bless you as we do Christianity together. See you next time.